0: You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's word today. Um, I want you to all think about back about a year and a half ago, maybe something like that. Uh, Pastor Dan did a sermon series on the I am statements of Christ, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the narrow gate. I am the good shepherd, right? It was, it was a very powerful, very reassuring reminder of all that our Lord is to us, right? And what he offers us. All right, well, most of you out there know that scripture is loaded with the promises of God, right? Amen. All throughout. It's his love letter to us. Promises everywhere, right? Um, he promises so much to those that love him and walk in his ways. But today, I want to specifically look at the promises of Jesus in the New Testament by looking at his I will statements. Okay, there's over 30 I will statements made by Christ in the New Testament, right? So what follows those two words is a promise. It's a promise from Jesus, right? So it's something that can't be questioned. It's something that can't be doubted. When our Lord says he will do something, he will do it, right? And there's nothing ambiguous about his promises either. He's faithful, and true amen all right so before we get into the text we of course want to look at the word promise a promise is something it's serious isn't it right it has a lot of weight to it right think about it when when someone makes you a promise you view it as a serious commitment right when you hear those words i promise i'll be there or i promise i'll help you out or i promise you can count on me it should give you a feeling of confidence in that person that they'll do what they said they would do, right? right? They will show up to help you move. Oh, oh that's a big one, right? <laughs> we don't like to help people move. We come up with all kinds of excuses to get out of that one, right? If you have a friend that will help you move, you stick with them, <laughs> right? All kinds of lame excuses, too, like me saying, oh, I can't help you that day because I have to wash my hair. Or they'll promise you to to pick you up from the hospital after your procedure because you can't drive. They better show up, right? Or a dad will promise his son to show up to his baseball game or to his daughter's dance recital, right? It gives you a feeling of confidence in that person unless, unless what? What's the other thing? They break the promise, right? Right? That, that That son is heartbroken because dad didn't show up to see him make that big catch or mom was late getting home from work and they missed the movie, whatever, right? There's a reason they call it a broken promise because of the effect that it has on the relationship and the trust between the individuals, right? It's now broken. So a promise is really only good as the character and the record of the one making the promise. And so how much better and how much more can we believe in the promises of Jesus, right? He's perfect and spotless. He's holy and righteous. He's God, right? Now I want you to think about when you yourself make a promise. Sometimes it's hard work, right? Your schedule has to be rearranged, or you have to say no to an opportunity that suddenly comes up, right? Because you made that commitment to that person. You made it as an act of love. You made it as an act of friendship, as an act of respect, to show them that, you really, that they really mean something to you, right? So it's nice to have those trusted people in our lives that don't let us down. But how much more can we trust Jesus to do what he says he'll do? Because let's face it, the people in our lives, there's, there's always a chance they can let us down. And that's human nature. It happens, right? But there's no chance that our Lord will. Amen? He always, we can always trust Jesus because he's willing and he, because he's able to uphold his promises. And how much better are his promises his promises are better because they have eternal consequences. All right, so like I mentioned at the beginning, there's over 30 "I will" statements made by Christ in the New Testament. So we're going to be here for about three hours, so buckle in as we go through them all. Now we're just going to look at a few of them today, of course. All right, so Jesus gives us promises for today, the here and now, the truth that we can cling to for our time here on earth, and then He gives us promises for the future as well, a hope. That we can look forward to. So let's first look at what Jesus promises us for the here and now. And I want to start with a big one. Well, no, I guess they're all big. This is Jesus. They're all important, right? But let's look at Matthew eleven, verse twenty-eight, which says, Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Alright? There's the I will. There's the promise. I will give you rest. And with the extremely fast pace of life today, who out there couldn't use a little more rest, right? I know I could. But Jesus is promising to take the stresses, the heavy burdens that this life can place on our shoulders, and he offers to lift it up for us, to help us bear it. That thing, that tough situation that's been wearing you down, that's been worrying you, that's been stressing you out, right? That you've tried to bear all by yourself. This is what Jesus wants to take from you. But well, we have to notice how this statement begins. Come to me. We have to come to him. Right? We can keep pretending that we have it all together, and that everything will work out just fine if we just keep pushing with our own strength and abilities. Don't get me wrong, it's important to be self-sufficient, to be a strong, independent person, right? In business, it's the person that gets ahead that knows how to utilize the talents and, of the people around them To get ahead, right? The one who knows how to work the system. I'm talking about in a legal way. Nothing underhanded here. But Jesus is telling us right here how to work the system. He's telling us to use the one resource that's inexhaustible. The one resource that never fails. The resource that, if utilized, will not only take the pressure off and lift the weight from our shoulders, but it will give us rest. Something that we sorely need to help us fight the upcoming battles for our mental, our spiritual, our physical health. Let's look at more of this. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's look at some of these words. So the word labor here, it refers to all of the burdens that we put on ourselves. And heavy laden refers to the burdens that other people place on us, right? So it's both internal and external pressures, right? So Jesus is offering respite from all of the pressures of this life. Let's look at the word yoke. In a commentary, Adam Clark says that ancient Jews commonly used the idea of yoke to express someone's obligation to God. There was the yoke of the kingdom, the yoke of the law, the yoke of command, the yoke of repentance, and the yoke of faith. Man, the yokes on them, I guess. That's a lot of yokes, isn't it? But Jesus is saying, forget about all those other yokes and take his yoke because it's light. He's saying, let me worry about all of those other burdens because I have a servant's heart, right? I am gentle and lowly in heart. And I have the strength and the power to bear those things for you. But we're not to just hand it over to him, wipe the sweat from our brow, heave a sigh of relief, kick back, and just forget about it. No, it says we're to come to Jesus and then learn from him. Jesus' yoke is not easy. It's not because it makes lighter demands, but because it represents entering into a disciple relationship with him right? He'll show us how not to go down that same road and make those same mistakes again, right? He'll show us how to give it all over to him so that he can help us bear it. And this is where we'll find rest for our souls. Amen? All right, so we find another I will statement from Jesus, another promise for here and now in Luke 5, verses 12 and 13, which says, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. So I imagine not many of us out here have encountered a leper during our lifetimes. I know I have. (laughs) So how exactly does this verse apply to us today? Well, this is a promise of healing. Absolutely, a promise of healing. But I want to look at another promise that's in here as well. All right, so first, we need to look at leprosy and how it was treated in Jesus' time. All right, we know that lepers were completely shunned and pushed out of society. They were kept separate. Leviticus 13, 45 and 46 lays down the law. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, uncover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. And the priests deemed the lepers to be spiritually unclean as well. So they were unfit and unable to worship God as everybody else was. So there's this idea of a disconnect, of a barrier between them and God. So this isn't merely a passage about the physical healing that Jesus offers us. It's about cleansing us of our sin problem. Leprosy is a symbolism, symbolism for sin. Right? Look at the passage again. Notice that it says this man was full of leprosy. So go ahead and substitute the word sin there. It's full of leprosy. This wasn't a mild case of the disease, which means that this man knew how bad his condition was. right? I wonder if we even remember or fully comprehend how bad our condition was. And sometimes still is. Do we really understand the consequences of our sin? Oh, uh, I I just told a little white lie to protect his feelings. Or don't worry, honey, that was just some harmless flirtation, right? or I really railed into that guy, but he had it coming, right? No, no. Sin is still sin. It causes that disconnect with God, much like that experienced by the leper. And can we, can we take a minute and just look at this man's great faith, right? Now, this is early on in Jesus' ministry. So this man has no other example that Jesus would help him, a leper, that Jesus would talk to him, let alone touch or heal him, right? And yet he comes to Jesus humbly, with respect, with great faith that says he fell on his face. Now he doesn't even doubt Jesus' ability to heal him. He doesn't doubt. He only questions whether Jesus was willing to heal him. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And he doesn't ask for, to be healed. He asks to be cleansed. This is the heart. This is the attitude that Jesus will respond to when we come to him with our Uncleanliness. Is that a word? Uncleanliness. I don't, I'm allowing it. Uncleanliness is a word, right? Lord, if you will, you can make me clean, and He will. Now Jesus could have healed the man with just a word, right? Because He's done that before. But no, He reached out and He touched the man. He touched the untouchable, and instead of the leper making Jesus unclean, clean as the law says, no, immediately. Jesus made the leper clean. Jesus shows his compassion here with that one single touch as well as displaying his healing power. And of course now this man's life was changed forever, just as ours was when we first confessed our sin to the Lord. But we have to come to him daily, fall on our faces, as it says this leper did, and seek to be cleansed. All right, listen to the next verse. It says what Jesus uh, told the man to do. Verse 47 says Then Jesus ordered him, Don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. So now the man could be inserted back into society so that there would no longer be that spiritual disconnect in his life. Right? So the Lord is telling us to keep coming to him, to be cleansed. No matter how we feel, our feelings don't matter. Am I guilty? Am I ashamed? Keep coming to me. Psalm 51, verse 17 says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, God, you will not despise. All the guilt and the shame, how unclean we feel, shouldn't matter. Never keep us from seeking the forgiveness of our Lord. Amen? Why? Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All right, the next I will we're going to take a look at is about usability. It's found in Matthew 4, 19, which very simply says, Then he said to him, them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Right? Very simple, very short, very familiar to us all. But what does this promise truly mean? Well, it's a call to discipleship. Jesus speaks to us all in this passage, not just Peter and Andrew, right? It's a call into a close relationship with our Lord, a call to learn from him, to follow him closely, to be poured into so much that we in due time will be fitting messengers of the good news. And this is one I have to admit to struggling with, not the following part, but the witnessing part. So by nature, I'm an introvert, so I keep to myself a lot, right? It's a miracle that I'm even up here. It really is. Um, my wife, Rachel, and I, we don't socialize very much. Now, these are not excuses. This is just my reality. Um, my wife and I don't socialize a lot, so we're not always having those interactions with other people. Right? And I work a lot. Um, seven days a week from September to April, the hockey season, 50-plus hours a week. So I'm, I'm, always, I'm not finding those situations and the time to have those meaningful conversations with people, right? So I have to constantly remind myself and take a closer look at what Jesus promises here. Right? So let's, let's take a look at when God calls people in Scripture. Right? God usually calls people when they're busy doing something. Right? He wants workers for his kingdom, so he calls people that are workers. right? Just a couple examples. Uh, Saul, Saul was looking for his father's donkeys. David, David was just tending his father's sheep when the Lord called him, right? Gideon was threshing wheat. Matthew was working at the tax collector's table. Peter and Andrew were just fishing. Right? So we're never too busy to heed the word of our Lord, and we're not to be idlers once he calls us. We're to do the work of the kingdom because he's put it in us to do it. Right? When we heed the call to follow him, he will make us fishers. He'll equip us to win souls for God. And also, I I need to remind myself to think of this. Following someone also means that you have to leave something behind, right? Matthew left his tax table. Peter and Andrew left their fishing business and their families. Blind Bartimaeus, it says he jumped up and left his cloak behind. And the woman at the well, she left her picture there, right? There are things from our old life. There are the old ways of thinking that we have to leave behind in order to follow Jesus. And we need not return to any of those things because we will find all that we need in him and from him. Because he calls us in his following to rely on his grace, to rely on his provision, to rely upon his strength that we should not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. Amen? All right. So the next promise is found in. Uh Where'd we go here? Luke 6, verse 47, where Jesus said, Whoever comes to me and hear my, hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. All right, so this is Jesus talking about that foundation that we have in him, building our foundation on Christ, on the solid rock, right? And it's also a promise that the Lord will fully help, help us to fully comprehend the truth in his word if we'll just come to him and pay attention to his words, right? There's great advantages to staying close to, enough to the Lord, to hear his sayings, and one of the most important things is that he will give us clear direction. He will show us. Why do you think he speaks in that still, small voice sometimes, right? He speaks in a whisper so as to draw us closer to him so that we hear his sayings, Right? I will show you. In other words, I'll give you the direction to go. But we need to be close enough to see where he's pointing. All right, you ever point something out to somebody and the angle and the distance that they are from you, they can't see it? You're like, dude, it's right there. And they're like, bruh, what are you talking about? I don't, I don't see it. What are you talking about? Right? right, we've all done it. That's how we all talk too, right? <laughs> so what's the solution? We have to, they have to come over closer to where we are, lean into us, almost so that their face is right up against us, so they can see where we're pointing. This is how close Jesus wants us to be. He's pointing the way. He's giving us the direction for the decisions we have to make in life and for instruction in righteousness. We just need to go to him, lean in closer so that we can hear that still, small voice and see exactly where he's pointing. Philippians 3.10 I want you to look at these words. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Think about those words for a second. Go ahead and read them again. Right? Those are powerful words that speak of an intimate relationship. This is where we should all desire to be. This is where Jesus is calling us to. And he's not only going to show us the way, he's not only to going to give us the direction, he's going to help us get there. I also I want to point out the, the, the pattern in this statement here. All right? This is something that's common throughout all of Jesus' sayings. All right? So first he says, Whoever comes to me. Also in the other verses we looked at, Come to me, all you who labor or follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. All right? So the act of surrender comes first, come to me. Number two, we have to listen to his words. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings, right? So discipleship is next. First we surrender, then there's discipleship. Then third, we have to act. Whoever comes to me, hears my sayings and does them. So obedience then follows, right? We can make a promise to Jesus to keep his word. There's surrender, there's discipleship. Then there's obedience. All right. We're now going to look at Luke 14, verses 13 and 16, which says, And whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father. And he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. This is like a two-for-one here. There's two I wills in there. There's almost three. There's a will I as well. (laughs) And we like this one, don't we? Verse 14, Jesus will do whatever I ask him to do, right? No, not right. right. The prayer is directed to the Father through the Son when it is in line with the Father's will. Jesus is saying, as my representatives on earth, as the ones who are doing my work, who are living in my spirit, seeking as I sought to do the Father's will, that is the one whose prayer will be answered. The parameters of this promise only include personal petitions in so much as they are for the glory of God. The whatsoever that Jesus speaks of has to be in line with the will of the Father. The prayer of Gethsemane. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That should teach us what prayer in the name and spirit of Christ means. Also notice that Jesus doesn't say that he would mediate between us and the Father. Not just that. No. It says that whatever we ask, he'll do it. He'll do it, which testifies his divine power and oneness in power with the Father. You know, we We attach in Jesus' name to the end of all our prayers, right? But when's the last time that we really thought about the gravity of that statement, right? We use it all the time. It implies a dying to self attitude to plead through Christ's merit and not our own, right? Because our righteousness, we know what our righteousness is. It's simply by the grace of God that we're cashing checks that otherwise we couldn't possibly hope to cover, right? Thank you, Jesus. I also want you to see the lovely symmetry in these verses here. All right, you ready? Here we go. This is good. (laughs) Jesus says, if we ask in his name, first if we ask, he will do, right? Then if we do, he will ask. You got that? If we ask in his name, then he will do. Then if we do, meaning if we keep his commandments, then he will ask. He'll pray the Father, right? His action is the answer to our prayers, and his prayers are the answer to our action. You got that? I'm going to let you read it. His action is the answer to our prayers, and his prayers are the answers to our action. What a wonderful, lovely, powerful promise this is. Right? We want to know we need to be in such close a uh, uh, relationship and fellowship with Jesus that will know the will of God for every circumstance in our lives, right? And that only comes through being in the word on a consistent basis and spending meaningful time with him in prayer, right? Jesus says in Matthew 6, 6, but you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. We have to have that alone time with Jesus. I'm talking about solitude with Jesus. All right. I want to look at one more promise. You guys still with me? All right. (laughs) And this one's for the future. This is something that we have to look forward to. This is a promise that's found in John 14. Verses 2 and 3, which says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. The promise is that he will come again. Yes, he will receive us to himself that where he is, we will be also. It doesn't get any better than that, does it? Jesus says these words to the disciples at the end of the Last Supper to comfort them, right? And they needed comforting right then, didn't they? It was just then that Jesus told them that one of them was a traitor, that Peter would be denying him, and he told him he was leaving them that night. That's like a trifecta of disappointment, right? So he tells the disciples not to let their hearts be troubled, and then he gives them this powerful promise. All right, let's look at some of these words here. In the original Greek, the the word for mansions that's used here, it implies a place of permanent dwelling, a place as glorious as a mansion in God's presence for all eternity, right? And there's many of them. There's millions. There's billions, enough for every tribe, every tongue, and every nation that puts their trust in Jesus. And it says that Jesus is the one preparing it for us. Right? I want you to think about this. Love prepares doesn't it? Love prepares things. Think about when uh, a couple is expecting a first newborn. What's one of the first things they do in their home? They set up a nursery, right? They prepare a nursery, a place specifically geared to welcome that child into the world and geared toward rearing that child, a place that has all of the comforts and all the things necessary to nurture that child. Love does that. And Jesus is doing that for us. And since he's prepared a place for us to go, he promises to return to take us there with him. Right? The I will come again is reinforced by the repetition of the previous promise of preparing a place for us. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And then he repeats, and if I go, it stands to reason that since I've done the work already, I'm coming back to take you there. We should be comforted by these words. Let not our hearts be troubled, because where he is, there we will be also. Right? The whole focus of heaven is being with Jesus. Heaven is not heaven because of the pearly gates. Heaven is not heaven because of the presence of angels. Heaven is not heaven because the streets are paved with gold. Heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. Amen. Right? This is something that we can take comfort in right now. It's a promise for the future, but we can take comfort right now knowing that as Jesus is preparing a place for us, he's preparing us for that place. All right, I'm going to say that again. Come on, that's good. As Jesus is preparing a place for us, he's preparing us for that place. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's a quick switch. To wrap things up, I'm wondering if there's any of you out there right now who are struggling in hearing from the Lord, seeing that His promises are active and working in your lives right now. You sometimes feel distant, you sometimes feel that there's a barrier there, just like that level. Are you heavy laden? Sometimes feel inadequate. I can't share. Do you feel stuck in your old ways of thinking? The Lord is reminding you this morning that you're not alone. He is with you. He's reminding you to draw close to him once again, and that He's given you all that you need to be more than overcomers. I love that Bill mentioned that earlier <laughs> in his prayer as well. Second Corinthians. 21 and 22 says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set a seal of ownership on us, and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I just want to say, Hang in there. Be patient, but be diligent. Right? We can stand on the promises of Jesus, but in order to truly be His disciples, Be his followers, we also need to promise Jesus that we will keep his word. That we will hear his sayings and do them. And that is when you will see the promises be evidenced in your lives and you will find rest for your souls. We put the title uh, Promises in red on this message because we know that these words are truth, right? They're Jesus' words and Jesus' words in Scripture are written in red. They're written in red, but they were fulfilled in red at Calvary, on the cross where he shed his blood for all mankind. There is no greater love than this. So trust in his promises, because he is faithful. He is true. And he will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are just so thankful to be able to draw near to you, Father. So we ask that throughout this upcoming week, Lord, you would just draw close to us. Father, we thank you for the truth in your word. We thank you for the promises, Father, that sometimes we don't even deserve, but it's merely by your grace, Lord God, that you extend this to us. We thank you, Father. We humbly fall on our faces. We praise you and honor you. May we do so with our lives. Father, I just pray for each person here, renewed sense of connection with you Lord God to truly have that time where you can pour into their lives Lord God build us up in our most holy faith Father so that we could honor you in all that we think, say and do because it is you alone who is worthy thank you Jesus we ask for your blessing. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.